right, well, good morning. Hey, I want to clarify one announcement. John may have said this, and, and I just missed it. Um, Alana starts back here this next week, and, and uh, the announcement he made, the plug he made, was we're looking for different folks, a variety of different folks, to help. And uh, Alana, by just either one time or periodically, Teaching the council time, which I think, Nicole, what is that council time? It's maybe uh, two two sessions, yeah, two, fifteen minutes. Uh, so, so if you were to volunteer, you're not volu volunteering to do it every week and forever. Uh, you could put on there, I'll try it one time. You could say I do it monthly, I do it quarterly, I do it once a semester. But we want to rotate that, so it's not always falling on the same person, and so the students aren't always falling asleep because it is the same person. I was just actually thinking about this, uh, that that is uh, the first little bit of ministry that I did in, in my little local church where I stepped out and was willing to try to teach something was in our Awana. And uh, the, the pastor asked me, and I was like, ah, man, I don't know. I don't know that I really have anything to say. And he said, well, if nothing else, you can, there was a little puppet called Sparky. He said, you could just do a puppet. I said, I definitely know I won't do that. <laughs> But I said, I'll tell you what I will do. If you'll be Sparky the Puppet, I'll be the guy interacting and asking you questions. And I tell you, we have more fun with that than, than anything we've ever done. The kids love it. And uh, straight, straight uh, beeline to the pulpit right after that. So any aspiring creatures out there, you don't have to be an aspiring creature. I was not one. I was a hesitant uh, participant in that ordeal. But uh, I think it was a lot of fun. So uh, if you want to... Um, be the dummy or the talker or the teacher or if you want to share a Bible lesson you can come do magic tricks you can come do any number of things and be a lot of fun so uh, that little sign up is out there on the bulletin board if you have hesitation I see uh, me or Nicole or John but we'd love to just get a rotation where uh, Nicole already wears so many hats in the Alana thing we, we thought uh, it'd be fun to get some new folks so Alright, Revelation 21 is where we're going to be today. Revelation 21, and, and probably I am trying to do too much here, but uh, we're going to end up reading the entire chapter of Revelation 21, but we'll kind of break it into pieces, and it's quite a bit. But I was thinking about, I've really got three separate thematic threads in my uh, preaching Series and different things that I've learned. And, and yes, I do it purposefully. And, uh, and here are at least three of those threads. Several months ago, we started thinking about heavenly things above. And I had an intention I was going to, going to get over here to thinking about heaven and what's heaven like. And, and so I didn't get there yet. And then uh, we've been talking about sharing the gospel of Jesus with other people. And we talked about sharing the three circles and just giving you some helpful practical tools about that and uh, and then last week Marcus Brown was here talking about missions and Arkansas missions and this is our Dixie Jackson uh, prayer week we're going to be for the month of September actually starting next Sunday and through the month of September we're going to be collecting our state missions offering and uh, so we've got that missions thread out there so think about that heavenly things above sharing the gospel and missions and I would say to you that this passage today ties those three threads together. 
Because as we think about and we get a glimpse of our glorious future, our heavenly future, and the things that are out in front of us, really, we are taking a look at the final and ultimate heavenly thing above. The new heavens and the new earth. And I would say that as we look at this, one practical aspect is, when we think about why we should, why we should share the gospel with people, this is, I think, the penultimate, the highest of the highest points about why it is so important that we share the gospel. And then I would say the same is true for missions. Why should we do missions? Why should we be excited? What is going to motivate us for missions? Why do we need to give? Why do we need to tell? Why do we need to go? This passage speaks, I think, to the greatest motivation for missions that we could ever have. Throughout the book of Revelation, the Lord is allowing the Apostle John to peek behind the curtain, if you will, of the future. The future of humanity, the future of all of the cosmos, the future of the spiritual realm, the created realm, of where God Himself is going to be and what He's going to be doing, John is given a peek behind that curtain, the certain future. You know, humans are fascinated with what's going to come in the future, aren't we? I mean, I mean even if it's just a fortune cookie, don't put much stock in that. It could be people who are into tarot cards or you know, psychics, all of those kinds of things. Christians, we look at prophecy and we're trying to figure out all of these things. We want to know what our future is going to be. And part of the reason is so we can prepare for it, right? So we can prepare for it. And now the Apostle John in the book of Revelation is privy to the certain future of all of the created realm of God Himself. He's given this apocalyptic future vision. And he's instructed by God to write down almost all of it. Not all of it. There's some things he says, no, leave that out. That's a surprise. We're, gonna, we're not going to tell that just yet. But, but he, he says, write this down so that we, folks, can be instructed. And no, it's not just for John to know. It's for us that we may know these things. And so the last two chapters of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 2, and we're just going to look at 21, is a glimpse into our glorious future. So let's begin with a glimpse of glorious places. Glorious places, verses 1 and 2. He, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Here is a glimpse of glorious places. And the first is, it's all about the new creation, but the first thing John sees and talks about, and your Bible may have this as a heading, is the new heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. And I think that's the best way to speak about what is to come, personally. Now, there are other passages in the Bible that speak about these things, but I think that's the best way that we can talk about things to come, is that when God is remaking all things, when creation is restored, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And he says the first one, that is the first heaven and the first earth, that's this one, that's those, are passed away. Okay? They go away. The first original heavens and earth, the, the one that we read about created in Genesis chapter 1, the one that has 
been fractured and broken by sin. The one that, yes, is feeling the pangs of the curse of God on the ground. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. This broken earth that, that is groaning in travail, that has been infected by sin, that one goes away. And I remember, I used to read this, I go, man, that just it doesn't really, I don't know, it's a pretty good place, it's a pretty good earth, what's wrong with this earth? But I'll tell you now, you know, and I don't know how much of this you, you want to believe, or you do believe, or we should believe, but we've got people... It's funny, Christians are not paying much attention to it. we got scientists and all kinds of people going, our earth, this earth is groaning. Our waters are polluted, all kinds of things, you know, we get off of it. Hey, we're not going there, but talking about climate change and things that could happen. You know, I saw recently, they said, if, if, if things keep going like they are, the, the oceans are going to rise. And it looked like the little map that I saw just glancing through. It was like all around the coast. They're saying those places are going to be underwater. I think it's very possible that George Strait is right. There could be some oceanfront property in Arizona available very soon, according to some scientists. So, you know, I mean, I, I think we have scientific proof that this earth is in travail. There's a brokenness. And you have to admit, we've messed a lot of stuff up. We've used and abused and all those kinds of things. The Bible says, that this first one is going away. Being restored and remade, and there is going to be not just heaven, a new heaven and a new earth that takes the place of the old one. It's a new creation. Hey, look, there's some continuity with the old. When it's restored, it's remade, it is renewed. And so there is the new heaven and the new earth. We're thinking about glimpses of glorious places, and the next place is... There is this holy city called the New Jerusalem. That's a place. Just like Jerusalem has been the capital in the Bible, was the capital for Israel, for God's people. They would go there. You know, the kings were there early on. And they would come there for their pilgrimages and for their celebrations for many of them. Well, there's a new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth. I think of it as the capital city. Of the new heavens and new earth. That's what it appears to me anyway. And it's a holy city. Not a debauched city. And look at what it says. The new Jerusalem. This holy city is coming down. Out of the heavens from God. Like a bride prepared for the groom. So you get this picture of here is this already prepared city. When God is making all things new. Hey this is kind of you go that sounds crazy. That sounds miraculous. Yes. God is doing this new thing, this final thing. And here comes this city, the capital city. Interesting. Jesus says in John 14, 3, I go to what? Prepare a place for you. And I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now, we can look at that verse, and we can talk about going to heaven when we die. Yes, I think that would be appropriate. I think this is the ultimate fulfillment, fulfillment right here of what Jesus said. I'm going to prepare a place. And I'm coming again. And you're going to be with me there. I think that is this new heaven and new earth. Specifically the new Jerusalem. This holy city. That's where Jesus is going to rule and reign. And God is going to be there. It's a place. This says. It's prepared. This says. As a bride for a groom. So imagery of Jesus and church that is his people so 
some glorious places. Now, hey, by the way, it says there's one place not going to be there. What is it? He says there's no longer any sea. For those of you who can't swim, you're in luck. No, no, there's water. It's not about water. There's a lot of things that could mean some ancient people thought about the sea as being a place of darkness, unsurety, and all of that. But I would say in the context of the book of Revelation, the sea is pictured as the place where the devil, the Antichrist, and the anti-Christian empire arise out of. And I think the point is that the origins of a lot of the evil and temptation in the spiritual realm, all of that is gone away. No chance of evil uprisings in this new heaven and new earth and holy city. So a glimpse of glorious places. Moving on, a glimpse of God and His people. Now let's read verses 3 and 4. And it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. A glimpse of God and His people. God is pictured here. He will dwell among His people, His redeemed people. I love that. It says God's dwelling will actually be with people. And that is not our experience right now, is it? see Him, we can talk to Him, we can know Him, we have His Spirit, but this is different. There is a restored fellowship with God where we'll actually know Him and be with Him and He will be with us and He will be our God and we will be His people. Over and over the Bible talks about that promise. It says He will tabernacle with us and when you think about a tabernacle or a tent or a dwelling, of course your mind goes back to the Old Testament, right? temple and the tabernacle they had in the wilderness, that was a special place. It was a unique place where the people could have access to God. But no longer is there a temple or is there a tabernacle because God is tabernacling with us. He's there. And again, that, that's different. Way different than our experience even now as Christians. He's going to walk among us. Can you imagine having access to God Himself? To Jesus Christ, our Lord. And not tucked away in some hidden secretive place. They're there as the center of heaven. So there is the dwelling of God. Look at this. There is the healing of God for His people. We're very familiar with these verses. It talks about He will wipe away every tear. Are there tears in heaven? People say there's no tears in heaven. Actually, it says at the beginning, there are tears. So I want you to think about something. I want you to think about experiencing and being privy to, witness to what's going on here in this, this, this of sorts destruction of the old order and the old way and God remaking. One of the things we struggle with is things like, well, what about my lost spouse, family member, friend who will not be there? I think for me, when I think about these things, I think it's possible. So I have friends that say, what happens is your memory is wiped clean of those people who aren't there because otherwise you would be sorrowful. I think that makes you less than 
you are now up there. So I, I don't buy into that. And we can argue about that, you know, and I can be right and you can be wrong. But, but <laughs> you can be right and I can be wrong. So, so we can argue about that, but, but that's not the point. I think, when I think about God coming and drying the, the tears, I think about, I think there is, at the beginning, there is that feeling of some things that were, that, that were good. Maybe, maybe we're sorrowful. Uh, that those things have passed away. Specifically, I think there's a sorrow over people that won't be there. When he said that God comes in and He wipes those tears away, I think He gives explanations. I think He helps us see the good, the perfect of His plan. I don't know about all of that, but I know it says this, He wipes them away. It is by no means, it's just a transitional moment, I think, because it says, in this new order, there is not going to be any more crying, or mourning, or pain, or tears, or any of those things. God is going to do something. He's going to show us. We will know more. He will explain more. We will see Him as He is. And so our tears will go away. There is this restoration of the created order to the way He intended it before sin racked it and broke it. In that glorious future of the new heavens and the new earth, Pain, suffering, death, grieving, mourning, gone away. Depression, sadness, loneliness, shame, they're gone. Disease and disability, physical impairment, they're gone. No more. They don't belong in the new order. Impaired bodies, being fearful of old age or death or any of that, all of that is gone because there's full restoration to life. We will have resurrected bodies made completely whole and perfect by God that are not subject anymore to the things that these bodies are subject to that are negative. I think we'll eat in heaven. I believe that. I think we have bodies, not less substantial bodies, more substantial. They're heavenly bodies can endure forever. So we get a glimpse of God and His people. We will be with Him and He will be with us. And it is life in a spectacular way. And then I want to spend just a few moments. It's the largest portion of the passage in verses 5 through 26. Seeing this glimpse of godliness and purity in the new heaven and new earth. That's how I want all of this together now. Verses 5 through 26. A glimpse of godliness and purity. Holiness, the purging of sin, and the presence of only pure and beautiful things. Let's read it together. As I think this book was written and meant to be, read in front of God's people, that we could be encouraged. Verses 5 through 26. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write. For these words are faithful and true. Hey, let me just stop right there and say, this is not me making something up. It is not the Apostle John having boredom and his imagination going wild. This is the promise of God. The God whose words were faithful and true and they will come to pass. For he has all power and knowledge and salvation and glory belongs to him, is what Revelation says. Verse 6, then he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable, the 
murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came, and he spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. And it had, that is, the city had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and the gates, at the gates, twelve angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width, and he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its walls, its walls 72 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, and the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, sardius, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, and eleventh, jacinth, and twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And its Lamb is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Here is godliness and total purity. And it begins with that life-sustaining liquid springs of life. He says, I'll give to those who thirst this water to sustain life at no cost. Those who overcome, those saints who have thirsted for God and for His righteousness, He will give to us the springs of the water that sustain our life. But I want you to notice in that passage, and it's easy for us to want to skip over this. It's found in verses 8 and in verse 27. And if you back up to the previous chapter, you're going to see the same kinds of things. That in the new heavens and new earth, those who have lived their lives in rebellion and sin and defilement and shaken their fists, at the face of God, they will be cast out and excluded from this place. They will not be allowed to enter. There's no climbing over these great high and thick walls. And the gates are guarded by angels. It says in verse 8 that those, and we could just say those whose lives are marked 
right? the defilement of sin, that is their character, that's what's in their heart, they will not be allowed to enter. They will be excluded from this glorious place. And it says not only that, they will be cast out. And cast out into a place that is described as an environment that is full of fire and brimstone. And he says it's the second death. And I think that we would most clearly identify this as what we call hell. It is exclusion from the blessings and the presence of God for those whose lives have been given over to rebellion against God. Now, I don't think we should think of heaven and hell merely as places, though they are places. It's real as this is a place. I think we should also think about them as communities of people. Communities of people. They're populations of people who have the same heart. There are those who thirst for God and desire to be saved and desire to have their sins forgiven and to come under the Lordship of Christ. And there are those who don't. Those who refuse His grace and His love and His presence and they will not come into His presence for eternity. Have you ever considered how profound an impact the character of the people of a place have on that place? I can think about once thriving neighborhood where neighbors went to work and they did their thing and they were good neighbors and over time maybe those places get infiltrated with things like drug houses and all sorts of things. And I want you to think about how the public populations and the character of our neighbors impact us and our joy of living in a place. I can tell you a place I've lived, drug homes and drug dealers all around, cars coming by all hours of the night, things disappearing from your place. And you know what it does? It makes you fearful. It makes you mad. It makes you sad. It makes you want to isolate. It causes mistrust and all kinds of things. And I think that sometimes we think that God is being extremely unreasonable about this thing called hell. But what I would say to you is those whose character and life is given over to the things that are opposed to the things of God, why would He allow them in? Because it will mar the place. God is a God of purity and holiness. And He has for we don't know how many years, thousands of years, allowed a proliferation of evil because He is redeeming a people. And He is patient. And He is kind. And He is full of grace. And He has sent His Son to save sinners. Hey, listen. The truth is that we all deserve hell because of our sin. The people that won't be there are the people who have fallen on their knees and accepted the grace of Christ. Though our sins deserve hell. God is pure and He's beautiful. Let's, let's move over for just a minute to the pure beauty of this place. And it's described with all of these gemstones that I don't really know how to pronounce and we're not sure what color they all are. But I love the description of the beauty of this place. I want us to think just for a minute about this new heaven and new earth and our heavenly home above if we're in Christ. And I love the first thing it says is it's surrounded by mountains. How do I know that? Because John is taken up to a great high mountain. So this place is surrounded by the beauty of mountains. 
And it's a place of pure brilliance, shining and sparkling. This isn't old worn out concrete and vinyl siding. This place is built with radiant, shining, colorful beauty. Unimaginable, really. It's not some little shanty tent town that's thrown together with no forethought. In fact, if you look at the architecture and the design of the place, and it's this cubic place. There's a symmetry to it that John describes through the measurements in various ways. It's proportional and it's perfect. It's beyond anything that any human could ever build. It is what Jesus, I believe, is constructing even now. And it's exquisite in its construction, and it is inestimable in its value, and you do not want to miss it. It is unbelievable. Even just what we can see here, we can't even describe with any precision, but we can see some things about it. And the best of the cultures of the nations who have come to Christ are there. Hey, I think there's Mexican food in heaven. It says the kings of these nations from the glory of their cultures. I think there is hibachi. Yeah. There is pizza. I don't know. But, but, but the point is all of the good of the various cultures. Hey, it's not just going to be people from Valley Springs or America or Arkansas in heaven, by the way. Jesus came to redeem a people from every tribe, tongue, and language, and nation. And there's, I don't know what all that means, but the best of the cultures and of the nations will come in and God say, yeah, I did that. I designed that. But that thing that was good and pure and you enjoyed, yes, and that, it's going to be a crazy party in heaven. People are bringing in and coming for a celebration. Hey, here's another thing. There's never a closed sign on the building. Did you catch that? Because it's not going to get dark. And I'm going to shut the doors and the gates. You're going to be able to go in and get your hibachi at midnight. Because the sun is still shining. I'm extrapolating a little bit here. Trying to use a little sanctified imagination. But, but it's never going to be boring. You're never going to be sitting around twiddling your thumbs saying, oh, man, I wish this coffee shop would get open. It's open. It's open and it's good. And they're, I tell you, it's teeming with life and culture and community and joy forever. And there is no crime. There is no defilement, no debauchery, no evil, no wickedness to spoil the beauty and the culture of heaven. And I need to get to the last thing really quickly. Verse 27. Nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The last thing is there is this great gospel reminder that motivates us for missions. In an earlier chapter, in the previous chapter, God's judgment throne is set up and said so there are two books. There is the book of deeds. And the dead, that is those who are not in Christ, are actually going to be judged by their exact deeds. Not by what someone else did, but by what they did. But it says there's another book that's open. And it's the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, none of us would be able to stand, as I've already said, if our deeds were judged. If we were given heaven or hell based on what we have done, we would all be headed for hell. But there is this other book. It is the Lamb's Book of Life. 
And in the end are written the names of every person who makes it into heaven. And your name gets in that book through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the message of the good news that Jesus came and He died and He paid the penalty for your sin. And He asked for a response of submission and faith. Turning from sin away from the things that deserve hell. That are opposed to the things of God that are impure and wicked and heinous in the sight of God. And give your life to Christ. It's not based on our works, folks. It is the grace of Christ. And we come and we accept the grace of Christ. And we come under His Lordship. And that's it. And I would say to you today that people need to hear that news. If you are worried about a loved one or a neighbor or someone who you do not want to experience the horrors of hell, and we don't talk about this enough, and think about it enough, but here it is. If you're worried about that person, I would say start by praying that God would intervene in their hearts and then we need to share the message of Jesus. And not just tell them, like it's vague, any old news. Like I always tell y'all my Google News feed. I look at the headline and I go, I don't care. We need to tell people the good news of Jesus and say it requires that you click the link. You need to open up the message and you need to respond in faith. And so this news of the glory of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, and the holy city of New Jerusalem, and the reality that not everybody is going there, only those who come to Jesus, it compels us and motivates us. For the mission. Heavenly things above. Should motivate. What we do down here on earth. In our lives. Amen. Yeah. Man. This new heaven and new earth. Is going to be. Amazing. And I want you to be there. Every one of you. And if you're here today and you have never trusted Christ, you don't know. Or maybe, based on what this passage says, you know, actually, that you will not be there at this point. You can change that today. Your eternal destiny can be forever changed. And your hope in heaven, secure. Your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You need to respond to Jesus. Repent of your sins, that means turn from your sins. Turn from going that way. Does that mean you're going to be perfect hereafter? No. But it means you admit them and you don't want to keep going that way. And then trust that Jesus died for you. That His resurrection proves that there is life beyond the grave. And that He's there preparing your home. You believe that. I, I believe that with every ounce of my being. Yeah. So I think you're crazy. A little bit. But not about that. We have this word. And if it is spoken to you today, would you come and respond to Jesus? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're already a Christian, I want you to be praying this time for folks that you know, or you believe, you don't know, but you believe their eternal destiny is not secure in heaven. Pray for them. And pray for the courage to tell them what they need to hear. To tell them the news of Jesus. If you're here today, You've never given your life to Christ. Could I invite you to just come forward at this time? Come here. I want to pray with you. I want to know that you're ready to take that step. You need to profess that Christ is Lord. Publicly. Can't hide out. No cowards, no believers. Can't hide out to you.
Father, would you ingrain it on our hearts and in our minds, give us through our imagination that you have built within us a picture, a compelling scene of what this chapter tells us. Would you help it to be our guiding reality, our understanding of what is actually out there and awaiting all of us in the future? Would you change us by it? Would you help us to live in faithful accord to that vision, that heavenly vision that you gave thousands of years ago and have kept and protected and given to us through your word? Help us to live by the gospel. To be ever ready, to be confident, to be loving, to be compassionate, knowing that people need Jesus, need forgiveness, and need life. I pray for any that are here today. You may be on the fence, or maybe right there, ready to take that step. Help them to take that step. By your spirit, compel them. Bring them to life. We want their names. In that world. As we know, Lord, that you sent your son because you love us. Because you desire that no one should perish, but that all come to repentance. That's what your word says. So we cling to that today. Help us. Help them. Pray these things in Christ's name.